0: I'm delighted that this episode of A Life Curated is sponsored by Stirk Law. Stirk Law is a London law firm specializing in litigation and private wealth. Its expert lawyers advise clients on complex and high value matters in the UK, offshore, and internationally. Please contact them if you require discreet advice. Hello and welcome to A Life Curated. My name is Nolan Brown. I'm an art dealer with the podcast. I deal in masterpieces by Hockney, Lowry, Herring, Richard Prince. And A live Curated is an art-fueled conversation where I speak to lead experts who I know, admire, and I'm interested in. And we delve deep into their lives and their careers with a hint of art thrown in. In this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Emmy and Grammy Award-winning film director and editor Tom Zimney. Tom began his career as an editor with credits on independent films and music videos. And in 2001, he won an Emmy Award for outstanding pitch editing for variety programming for his work on the Springsteen concert, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, Live in New York City. In 2005, he released Wings for Wheels, The Making of Born to Run, his first credit as a director, which won the Grammy Award for Best Music Film at the 49th Grammy Award in 2007. Tom's 20-year association with Bruce Springsteen has yielded masterpieces, including Springsteen on Broadway, for which he won the Emmy for Outstanding Director for a variety special at the 71st Emmy Awards in 2019, as well as Western Stars and A Letter to You, to name just a few. Tom has also directed films on Elvis, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, and most recently, The Brilliant and Moving Sly, a documentary on Sylvester Stallone, currently on Netflix. Recorded remotely with Tom in New York and myself in London, this is a live curated. Enjoy. Tom. Tom. Firstly, it's terrific to reconnect with you. It's been a couple of years since we've spoken and first met. And I'm thrilled to have my first film director, my first double Emmy and Grammy Award winning <laughs> film director. And also, you currently have two shows on Netflix, Springsteen on Broadway and Sly. Is yeah. that how you roll? Is that, is that the norm? Well,
1: <laughs> first, thank you for having me here today. And connecting with you again is, is wonderful. And I tie you to my experiences in London, and it's just great to... Be sitting here in New York with my Claridge's cup, a bit of snow, and to see. <laughs> um, so, thank you. Um, I'm thrilled to have two films on Netflix that really were amazing experiences and, and also have some themes that overlap. Both films, in some ways, are part of my journey and things that I'm interested in, in trying to explore.
0: So, Tom, as I always kick off, uh, what was your very first art memory?
1: My very first art memories come from the space of a school teacher who exposed me to. A lot of different paintings that made me aware of light. And I can still remember being five, six years old and suddenly looking at the world differently. And I remember this teacher spending this moment and changing my life because he explained how to achieve shadows, how to look at light, how light had many different colors. And I think in some ways, that was the life changing moment of understanding. The healing qualities of art and also the healing qualities of light itself. I still have that childhood wonder when I wake up sometimes I'll just look at the beauty of color and light that way. And it really stems from an adult stopping and seeing I had interest in drawing and interest in the paintings that he was showing and breaking down some of the basics of light and shadow.
0: What a wonderful answer. It's almost a pretext of what you're doing now. What was the first artwork that you ever bought?
1: The first artwork I ever bought was a Philip Guston painting. And it came at this point in my life where I had a young son and um, I had gotten some money. And I remember at the time someone said, are you going to buy a car? And I said, no, I just finished this great book on Philip Guston. And I would love to own a litho that Philip signed and, and have one of his works. and." I went and was able to find one and and it it has stayed with me all this time. And it was really important because at the time, owning work that way was stepping out of, uh, you know, just it, it was an adult move. It was no different than buying a home or a life change. But the funny thing is, I realized that there's been so many moments of putting my energies in different ways of, or money spent in different ways. And when I look at the art, it, it's always something that I return to. And I'm so grateful that I spent the time and have had this piece with me all through the different chapters of my life in New York and LA, you know, owning art is just so powerful when you, when you live with it.
0: And Peter, I'm, I'm actually, I'm thrilled that you have mentioned Philip Guston because Auguston because uh, I was reviewing exhibitions last year and there's this incredible blockbuster retrospective of his work at Tate Modern. And I went in, you know, completely like blank canvas, knew of his work, knew aesthetically, uh, and didn't know about it in depth. And he's got this kind of cartoon Robert Crumb style palette. uh, palette. And then the more I I read, I, I, I looked at his paintings, I went around three times. It really unpacks, you know, some incredibly heavy and dark subjects but painted in this cartoon like honestly it was a memorable exhibition i'm thrilled you uh you answered with that and bought that that lithograph i want to talk now about the man and the technique behind the camera give me a sense of your upbringing and what was your first film
1: memory the sense of my upbringing was like a lower middle class jersey shore town that had a little bit of the melancholy of your typical resort town and there was a thing early on that I discovered with both film and sound and audio that before we had VCRs, I would chase certain films that I loved, but they would only be screened a certain time and and you had to be there in the moment and capture it. And one of the early things I loved was this film called Angels with Dirty Faces, which depicted a Warner Brothers gritty film noir, New York City very basic good and evil story two boys grow up, one's a priest and one's a gangster and the life choices they make. But it hit me really strong as a child because it presented this cinematic version of New York City. And also I, as a child, wanted one thing, which was a tape recorder. And recording sound and having control to be able to play something back at any time was magical. And actually it was the start of my editing in some weird way where I could record a movie like Angels with Dirty Faces, take it to the beach and just sit there and listen. And what I was doing Sheesh. as a dyslexic was in some ways I was creating, I was making, you know, I was listening to the film and reimagining it in my mind's eye. And I referenced being dyslexic because in some ways I was drawn to images because they were hitting me so strong because I was struggling with the written word and with writing and reading and could never express myself in a comfortable way by writing. So the visual side of things took on a real intensity and from early childhood really believed in the power of taking picture and sound and putting it together and creating, in some ways, it was my way of creating a sentence, a voice for me to try to express myself. But early, early on, I love the, and I still watch them now. I have a romantic vision of London and I have a romantic vision of New York City. And I think it all comes from the cinema of the thirties and forties. And um, I know it's not real, but it's something I still chase down to like Sly and and my conversations with him and interviewing him in Hell's Kitchen. God,
0: how interesting, because I know that Scorsese was, and I think still is a big influence on you. And also, I just want to tag something onto that because Scorsese is known for these extraordinary films. I mean, I think almost every film that he creates uh, from Goodfellas to The Irishman are uh, exceptional, but also he has such great soundtracks. And obviously you have kind of worked with, you, know, you working as a, as a brilliant music film director. Is Scorsese still a huge influence in your work?
1: Absolutely, I think every film project I don't think I know every film project I have. I put within my editing software, the project itself. I have Scorsese films that I look at. People will play vinyl sometimes to get in the mood or to get a tone. I will go to his films that way. Obviously, Raging Bull's been a huge, huge influence to study. And all his films, down to the recent film and The Irishman, I spend time just studying and looking at. And his use of music and his use of cutting is so freeing. Sometimes when I have a really tricky moment in the editing process and I can't figure something out, I just will watch him and how fearless he is to get story and ideas across. And I've met him once and I've had that honor of being with him and you know, I just admire him so much as an artist and it's a source to go to again and again. And I've grown up with it and the intensity that he has in the story of, of New York City, but also that battle between characters that are, are trying to understand their lives and, and living between some of the forces of good and evil and, and, and those things um, come across again and again. The film Casino was a, a film I went to recently, again, just to look at the cutting. And, you know, with music, there's no one better than Scorsese in that sense of Sonic landscape, a soundtrack. For me, I find it's so inspiring to take apart *Raging Bull* and the sounds that are in the background, the sound design. It's all part of my influences that I I, I will go to forever. I think it's it, it's it's aged with me and it inspired me.
0: Which brings me on to my next question. We're going to get into Sly a bit further on, but I love the opening sequence. Uh, I love the whole documentary. I'll be honest; I really enjoyed it, and it unpacks so much. I really enjoyed it. I mean, that's sincerely. And I was listening to another podcast where you know you get that shot of him in his office looking out onto the garden, and it's grand. And the interviewer was saying how you know what an amazing shot, and it is absolutely an amazing shot. However, I interpreted it as big Hollywood star, big house looking out, and I know you kind of improved it and grabbed it. However, what prompted me to get in touch with you was the shot of him in his gallery. For me, I love my art, he's got some great pieces, but it completely set the tone for the rest of the documentary, but also almost softened Sly. I know that he's an artist himself, but we also know him as this great hunk of an action global icon, you know, this rock and action hero. My question is, Tom, How much does art influence your shots?
1: Oh God, art influences every aspect of making films for me. I, I have art books all around my edit room. I will flip through images of art. When you're editing something, you're putting together images and you're telling stories and sometimes you get to a place where you're just being too logical and you have to rely on the power of images for me. Early on, I I learned from another editor this idea of always having books of work that you admire or or just make you feel. So I go to a book sometimes before before shooting Sly in the interior of his statue, I looked at a bunch of Renaissance paintings, thinking about these workers who would be taking this sculpture down and then thinking about how the many depictions of a crucifixion happen and where the camera would have to be to make that statue seem both really powerful, but also how light played in, in a lot of the paintings that I loved. Like if you can imagine, I have this idea that I'm going to film slides, workers and and moving men take the articles out of this house. I could go there and just shoot it. It could be fall into something of like you would consider B-roll. Or you can think about what is the space? What is the space as a character? What's the space telling you? And that's the dialogue I have with myself, with my team, my cinematographer. And then what I go to is the beauty of art and paintings and photographs. And I look for inspiration and feelings. I don't really bring things to set. I just carry it with me. And I still do it. It's just like I, I would bum through books and take in light, color, and composition. And then hopefully all that you bring to set. And, and a few times with um, Sly, within Sly's office, this is all this office memorabilia. And I wanted to film it in a certain way. And I didn't want it to be bright lighting. I didn't want it to feel like a trade show memorabilia. I wanted to feel like characters in his life, chapters in his life, mm-hmm. and I showed the cinematographer different references with some photographs that I, uh, that I loved, and that's the way I've worked always. I, I I feel like the images of work in photography and painting both help me in the editorial process to unpack scenes, to rework images in a different way. If you're really stuck on a scene, it's a really great thing to go to, you know, Rauschenberg. I I bought a Rauschenberg, that's the second painting that I got. And that's a huge influence. There's something that's completely freeing within the space of collage, because it unpacks this space of, oh, I never thought about starting the scene this way. This was something that was shot with completely a different intent. But actually, it says it all. Sly standing behind glass in this home, that's a perfect portrait, but also sets up that idea of like a Citizen Kane, a mansion. And then, you know, one of the things about Sly and the beauty of that home was that he loved art. And I would talk to him, and a lot of it didn't end up in the film, but there'd be times I would just stop and say, that's a great piece, where did it come from? And he had a full history, and just a love of the work. I've been surrounded by different artists that live that way and and also share in the beauty of the work that way within their home and collectors.
0: Painters have a style. Sculptors have a style. What is Tom Zimney's filmmaking style? And I just, again, I just want to tag something on. I watched Western Stars, which is very cinematic. You know, you have shots of the outdoors, Springsteen's barn, beautifully shot. Sly, again, beautifully shot, more kind of documentary. How would you describe your style? Why do people come to you?
1: I think the items like like what you just described now were some stylistic choices where I look at space as character. You reference Western stars and the barn. I looked at that barn and I have to go beyond just, oh, this is the place where we're going to film a concert. I have to look at it and think, of all the years before, what it means in Bruce's life, what happens when an orchestra comes into this barn and fills the space? How do you photograph that so that space becomes character in the movie? And Sly's Home did that for me, and the film I made on Johnny Cash, he had a cabin. Part of my stylistic choices is looking at the landscape and trying to figure out how I can tie it into the character's life choices, their journey, And the other part of if I get very self-conscious and think about it, it's like the other thing is I'm obsessed with sound and the healing powers of sound and light. For me, the sonic landscape of a film is really important, and I really am particular about the choices of music and also how the emotional arc of music can drive a film. I'm obsessed with bootleg music and sound having a texture and that comes from childhood. And my love with art recently, I had a friend started painting and it was great to watch her discover painting. And I have gone back and I've been sketching and painting again, myself, something I did in both middle school, high school, but just as something as a return to it as an extension of the enjoyment of work and light and process. But I, you know, I, I think stylistically, I also am chasing themes and a lot of it has been unconscious. And, and one of the themes is the theme of an artist and his connection to his father. It happened in the Sly story in a way that I never knew existed until I started interviewing him. And, and this theme of like a lost father has appeared in the work both on the Broadway show. It's Bruce Springsteen. And and also the work with um, Johnny Cash and, and Willie Nelson and Elvis, this has been a, a through line in the work. And it's not always been conscious or deliberate. It's I'm attracted to artists who've had a long journey and also have had a battle to understand both their past childhood and where they are in the world today.
0: Would you ever, I mean, you're known, you know, you're the man when it comes to film documentary, I uh, sorry, music documentaries, and film documentaries, but music specifically, you won Emmys and, and Grammys. Would you ever do an art documentary on an icon, on a Coons, on a Hearst. Would you ever consider that with your love for art?
1: I definitely would consider doing a documentary on an artist. I recently worked with Pierce Broslin on a short that we made, which dealt just with his upbringing and his love of painting and how he came into painting. And I have some film projects in development with Pierce and his wife, Keely. And that was one of the great things of last year is I had this moment of filming a painter and it was a short that I made that he had an opening of a show and it just told me that I I, I really I found it really powerful to film and capture paintings and also someone in the process of working and I, I love doing the interviews with Pierce and I love his work and um, it just spurred on the ideas of it would be great to do another artist. And um, I would definitely consider that.
0: What rules do you always stick to? What steadfast rules do you always stick to when making films?
1: steadfast rule, is for me, is the work ethic and the focus. It has to, you know, never believing in in the sense of your own press, never believing that the gods, um, you know, like, believe in the power of mistakes, believe in the power of the gods throwing you a curveball. So, like, the only rule I feel like I go to again and again is like, stop and be open to something, you know, do as much research and know your subject and be ready to jump into the room. But then all of a sudden you meet Sly and he says something about his father and you readjust, you readjust because you hear in his voice, something that you've never picked up from any of the research. And you chase that remembering to trust those instincts that you had early early on and not to be in the space of too comfortable that you the body of work gives you an opportunity to sit back you know i work around bruce springsteen and and john landau and these people are a huge influence on me and just their work ethic and their focus you know in front of me working and creating and living a life full of art an appreciation of art. So I think like the, that one rule of held on to which is put the time and the energy into it. And also believe in the power of the unknown, like you don't have control of certain situations. And in that you're given great gifts, something doesn't arrive with equipment on set, you reboot, you think through what you wanted. You don't have this equipment you're planning this big shot and then you realize the gods have thrown you something really great you have this other opportunity it happens on every film it happens all the time on set there's a powerlessness over the process that you have to embrace and with that too comes that space of just being grateful to be able to create live and and have projects to inspire you day to day and and like so those are the many rules that run through my head as i take on a new project where i I start and i go okay where are we going to go you know what's going to happen it's like do the work but be open do the work but be open to circumstance and mistakes that you later go god thank god we didn't pursue this because if i just held on tight to one vision i would have missed out i
0: think to sum that up it's to be modest adaptable and grateful. And also, I, I want to ask you, like, you know, I, in my profession, I deal with big egos, big money, and, you know, sometimes you have to tiptoe around and, and pander a little bit, but ultimately it's about getting the big deal through. You know, when I first met you, Tom, you were very easy to talk to, you, you do something awesome, and it was very comfortable, you know, we kind of talk, like talking to an old friend. Um, yeah. you worked with Bruce Springsteen for 20 years. You worked with Sly, Willie Nelson, these enormous, enormous, enormous stars. What is it about your character that I think people are drawn to and that you can work with such big stars? Because, you know, these are global, global icons.
1: Well, you know, I think that if you go to the space of being in the room with these people that I guess are, you know, they, they're they, they, not out not guess they are icons. Um, if you go to the space and you look at Sly and You 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 can't wipe out your memory of being 13 and seeing them on the screen and all those things. And someone will make a gesture and it'll remind you of an iconic moment. But my purpose there is to be directly across from them in an honest space that doesn't pertain, doesn't hold a POV of holding them up as iconic or celebrity. I'm standing before them and trying to understand many details that get lost in a chat show question. So you don't go to the space of how was it to, you know, run in the jungle and be Rambo. Was it really cool to do this? Was it great to, you know, you, you go to the space of asking things that you are interested in that get beyond celebrity, the details that get lost. I mean, talking to Sly and, and him describing that when he suddenly had recognition after Rocky that something was lost. And him describing that to me was one of those moments. Or working with Bruce and talking to him about his journey and developing as a writer and the many hours he was chasing sounds. What you end up with is you keep it in the space of letting them just be the artists that they are amongst the studio musicians You're not asking them to perform by the simple style of questioning. And there's also a thing that, you know, for me, I, I don't have to work really hard at. I'm not chasing their celebrity. I'm trying to go after a bigger story. And I think it comes across in the questioning and the time I spend with them and how I spend that time and the power of developing a relationship and getting that crucial thing called trust is essential in telling these stories, both with Willie Nelson. And I co-directed that with Warren Moverman. And, and it was the same thing where you're in the space of the homes of these people, and you need to be in a space of trust and create an atmosphere where you're asking them questions that feel new and also being very aware if they're on any sort of autopilot with a response. Someone like Sly has done hundreds and hundreds of shows, and I didn't know what to expect. But one of the first things I did was just didn't put him in a chair, stood mm. across from him and kept the camera moving.
0: Yeah. You watch, you know, specifically with the, the Netflix format, you get a kind of stark room interviewer yeah. and then the subject on a chair. But actually, I really noticed that you kept it going. He is somebody's in the in his study, but you really kept that going. And I really urge the listeners to li- to, to watch all of Tom's uh, documentary. But Sly, I watched it four or five times, and it's just this extraordinary balance that you have with him, uh, and you get out of him that kind of touches a bit of, uh, on his vulnerability, on his superstardom, his extraordinary relationship with his father as well. And I think it's a real testament to you and your skills that you you know you got that out of him. And there's one part which I think almost kind of is also a theme for the documentary is he's playing pool right at the start i think in the laws of flatbush and he goes on the one hand you've got this action hero kind of hulk uh, who's always cast as a, as a thug but then on the other side you've got a, a nice guy and if you put those two together you get you know a winning formula and that's kind of what on what, what he went on to to do
1: yeah it's a great moment and you realize that that's what he did he created characters
0: before we go back to the arts, let's listen to this trailer for The Slide Dog, currently on Netflix.
1: What is healthier? To live under the illusion and still have a little glimmer of hope that you could have been great or blow it and you realize you're a failure. I think the easier route is to live under the illusion, and say, you know, if I'd had that chance, I would have beaten all of them.
0: Who is this man, Sylvester Stallone?
1: artist, writer, poet, performer. How does that happen? I had
0: given up on acting. I was done. You mentioned some pretty great artists that you have in your collection. If you're okay to mm-hmm. talk about it, and in light of Ivan Reitman's collection, which recently sold at Christie's, can you tell me a bit more that what's in yours?
1: I don't have an amazing collection by any means, but I can tell you that I don't know. I don't feel, I don't feel like it's way up there. I have a lot of beautiful um, photography from Bruce Springsteen throughout the years in limited, like born to run photos from Eric Miola. Pierce just gave me a signed litho of Anthony Bourdain. I have an Alex Katz litho. I have the Rauschenberg. That's about the sum of it. I have a lot of the photography through the years with Bruce that I've I've just been able to collect from the photographers and artists. That to me is another source of inspiration. But I don't have by any means a, a large art collection. I also obsess sometimes with illustrators and will find funky illustrations from the 50s and, and the 60s. So I have also a love of that. Ralph Steadman
0: style or? Uh...
1: No, it's it's more of the um, one of the things I loved was finding illustrations that weren't finished. They would be like paintings for a magazine cover, and it was halfway done. And I I bought one of those where there's just this sketch and the outline, and then another portion of the painting has all this detail. So I sometimes end up going towards, oh, I also have Stieglitz photographs. I've got a couple of Stieglitz. But it's not anything, I I feel funny talking about it because it's stuff that I love, but it's not a massive collection that would sell anywhere. But it does mean a ton to me and it's a big part of my life. And I
0: love that. I really do. And I, you know, I'm gonna listen to this over and over again. I love that what art means to you and also how it's influenced your your filmmaking. You know, that's so important. I mean, they say buy what you love and live with it. And it sounds like you are. Let's talk about Bruce, because you know, I think it's a testament to you as a person, your your character, your brilliant filmmaking skills. You're working with someone arguably the the biggest music icon ever. And I've watched a lot of videos on YouTube of you two together. It's very, very comfortable. Obviously, you've known each other for many, many years. I was listening to another podcast where actually someone asked a good question. He was like, you know, what do you guys like together? Is it it buddy-buddy? Does your heart jump when he calls? I know he co-directed Western Stars with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the relationship like? Like, uh, you know, just give me an insight.
1: I think that the thing that I most treasure with Bruce is that every time he does call, I don't know. I have no idea what the journey is going to be. I just know that yeah. it's going to be a, a whole new thing that we, we just don't really repeat anything with the filmmaking or, or musically he's always surprising me, whether it's Western stars that had a country feel to it and at times folk feel and, or was, whether it was the senior session where he was suddenly into a, a whole other stylistic approach or, or the beauty that he has with East street. What I know is that we're going on a journey and when we do meet and we do work together, he has this wonderful thing that I just love, which is a focus, a focus on Mm -hmm. the task at hand and an attention to detail. That has been such an inspiration for me and attention to the storytelling, the arc of the story, you know, like, and one of the most powerful things as a director and as an editor has been to talk to him about his music that way, where he would write a great song and, and toss it aside because it didn't drive the story forward. That to me again and again has been a great reference when making films, how not to be precious with something that you love, whether it's a, a scene in the film or a line, if it doesn't work and it's not moving it forward, you have to be ruthless and let it go and it'll show up somewhere else or you'll just have the memory of it and that'll be a driving force but bruce as a person to work with over the years and john too it's, it's like the inspiration i get from both of them is definitely the, the attention to detail and the focus on the work when he walks into the room we start and it'll be four hours later and it'll feel like seven minutes but we accomplished a lot there's joy and and in, in the making of these films but there's also a, a real intensity of what's it going to be how, how are we going to do this how do we film this orchestra in a barn where will these cameras be what how are we going to portray this space or Springsteen on broadway was a, a really unique challenge that way it was like how do i capture this magical thing that i'm experiencing on broadway and it really comes down to a lot of conversations with him and a lot of trust and with western stars it was one of those films where we were in the room together so much and we collaborated so much i was editing it in his studio that was one of the adventures where we made it together so um did
0: he say to you like, be aggressive with the editing or well, there was something about i like, don't hold back there was uh, something particular he said to you or Uh, the way that you worked on the editing uh, on Western Stars. Uh, He was very much hands-on, wasn't he?
1: Well, yeah, we had this dialogue because we were, I I guess it it was hands-on in the sense of while I was cutting, there would be times in the room he would walk into the edit room, which was a kitchen next to his studio, and he would walk in with a guitar, and I'd be editing, and I'd be deep in the scene, and all of a sudden I would hear him strumming out moments of score, He was literally in the room creating and sometimes he would look at a scene and then I would hear music coming from the other room. And that was Bruce picking up instruments and with Ron and Yella, who's brilliant and composing the score to Western stars. And then also there'd be times where he would have a notebook and he'd go into the studio and read a voiceover and I would have that. And all of a sudden I had this beautiful dialogue, all these wonderful words and ideas, and I would start to sketch with it. And um, Western Stars was one of those dream experiences because we worked every single day and the film just kept taking on different approaches to the storytelling and depicting the music in, in so many different ways. I have something really exciting down the road that I, I'm doing with him, and um, I hope someday to be able to share that and. Um, I, I always enjoy the adventures with Bruce, especially because I never know what to expect, and and I just kind of hold on tight and go along for the ride of of where, whatever is going on musically with him in the moment.
0: I mean, what an amazing relationship, and and well done, you know. That's really that's okay. something's really special. You're a double Emmy award winner. And also a Grammy Award winner, which is amazing, like truly amazing. And I think for some reason it's its these awards like the Gold Oscars, which are coming up and the Golden Globe Globes have just passed. They're almost kind of like really amplified for us Brits on this side, maybe because you know, they're such a big deal. Receiving those awards is a huge achievement. And you must feel amazing when you're presented with them and given them. And it's a real testament to, to what you've achieved. But when you finish a project, what is the biggest reward for you? You know, when you finish Sly, when you finish the Johnny Cashville, when you finish any project, what is it that gives you the most joy? Is it the recognition professionally or is it more creative? Like when you're at home by yourself, what really hits you?
1: It's a great question. I think um, there's a couple of things that really are strong things for me. One is um, hearing for the first time an audience react to something in a theater where you've spent months alone in a room and sharing it with a small film team in a group and now a bunch of strangers in a room laugh or just gasp or or have some reaction. That is like such a great blessing because you suddenly are letting go of that project. It's now in the world and it's a very, very exciting and sad feeling at the same time. The, the other thing is um, there's a few people in my life that are, are really important to me. And when I hear from them and they connect to the work, it means a lot to me. And I cherish, you know, the response uh, if, if they connect to it in any deep way. But I also think that there's this moment of after the film is done where you have a moment with Bruce or Sly or, you know, Johnny Cash's son. Where you just have this moment, this beat, where you both get to acknowledge this space of gratitude that you had this time together, because they're yeah. really personal moments, and and now the film is out there in the world, and and you're letting it go, and you're hoping for another adventure in film, but at the same time, there's this great melancholy that comes with the end of every film, and also a space of gratitude. But I also have a few people in my life that when I connect with them or I, I read something that they write about the films, it, it, it means a lot to me because in some ways they know you in a deep way. And if they're connecting to the work, that even makes it more powerful. And and obviously my sons and, and, and family are part of that, too. I have a goal to leave behind a body of work and also have a journey where I feel like I'm learning. And I always hope that... um I'm telling stories that someone can step into and see themselves and feel the love, the pain, the the conflicts, you know, relate to it. It's not a story of Sylvester Stallone, the movie star. It's not a, a rock and roll story. It's a journey of an artist, and everyone should be able to step into it and say, yeah, I have a part of that, right? I sense that. You,
0: Tom, you've totally hit the nail on the head, and I'm so thrilled you brought that up because I... Have been involved in a deal for the last two months, which sadly collapsed. And it was a really difficult roller coaster of, of a deal. And it was it, it just collapsed. I'm kind of relieved. But <laughs> I remember watching Sly, <laughs> and, and I'm not kidding. And there's I know there's a couple of quotes which I'll misquote, but you know, he said, you no, know, 90% of it is trying. And right. or even 99 percent of it is trying, and 1% is achievement. And I remember thinking, God, a slice. I mean, I was literally like, I've been trying 99% of the time to get this through. (laughs) And and, I mean, really to that point. And I remember watching it and it just hit me emotionally that he just has, you know, you get this side of him completely, you know, and and again, I repeat, he's a global Hollywood megastar, you know, who changed the game and created his own genre. And you just get him at that moment where he's just like, I'm like everybody else, you know. I was rejected, and I pushed, and I pushed, and I pushed, and I got there. And it really resonated to me. Sadly, I don't have eight Oscars, nor do I have this painting, but it really, I really connected with that. I really, really connected, and I thought you just brought out this incredibly human side of him, as well as all of the parts of his life from the films. So. Um, I'm so thrilled that you, you you brought that up. It brings me on to actually, you know, you're well-established. You have many more projects going. There's going to be a lot of young, up-and-coming, aspiring filmmakers. What advice would you give to them?
1: I think the advice that I always tell myself, uh, and I try to share with people who, who are trying to make films, is the level of the dedication to it. You don't want that to change with, anything it's funny i'm thinking of bruce right now in some ways too because i'm not comparing myself directly but there is a work ethic that you want to hold on to and if you can find that early on you have this hunger you have no experience but you have this hunger if you can hold on to that and also look at the outside world as not touching that i think that's essential and and what i I guess what i'm saying in reference to bruce is that you know he's just constantly recording constantly creating and working and exploring his craft Mm -hmm. and i admire that and i also try to uphold that sort of focus and desire to create also i'm not sure what is work i live and i've been able to do this and i'm really grateful for that but i have no structure of you know, I'm not working this weekend, I can go to a museum and slip in and out of both being in the space, just enjoying the space, and then suddenly in a work mode where I'm inspired. And that's the perfect thing to chase as a young filmmaker and artist where you're involved in it, where you don't have this feeling of of division of like, now I'm turning on the machine to work. That's what I wanted to chase where I could feel like I was living a life that way. And I've been very grateful to have a bit of the luck and experience that gives me this opportunity to work really hard and be grateful, grateful to have this chance. And in that, you know, you have these life experiences that could alter your focus or your dedication to this journey. And I I just think it's important to hold on to it. It doesn't mean that you lose family or you lose love or opportunities to love. It's staying true to that initial thing you chased. That's what I talk to about uh with work and and art with other filmmakers and people who have come up to me at different times. And so to try to hold on to that original hunger. And it, it gets harder as you get older and opportunities come and life comes on. And but um I still try to return to it, to that space of the guy who loved London and New York from a you know place of. Old black and white scratchy films you take along your yourself on all these journeys and and, and try to remember what brought me to this place
0: did you make a, a short of born to run or a version of born to run when you were a child is that right or a team yeah
1: yeah. i um the very born in the usa was that I, I born in the usa sorry yeah <laughs> when i was 18 years old i um borrowed some money and and actually my dad gave me a little bit of money and i bought a video camera which basically meant i carried a large oversized machine on my shoulder and a vhs tape and it had the magical powers of if you rigged it with another vcr you could do some half-baked editing where you would hit play and record in real time and make edits suddenly i realized i could also dub onto the video tape so I realized i can make my own music video and i took some pbs documentaries on vietnam and went around town and shot some scenes of a parade and went home and cut together uh my own version of born in the usa which someday i'll show bruce but i've never shown him but <laughs> Um, oh,
0: just quick, just, uh, this has been enthrallingly fascinating to, to call oh, on a yeah. term. I really, I'm, I'm I'm, so thrilled. It's so interesting. I just want to talk about the film industry, actually. You have the cinema, which thankfully are still there. You currently have two shows on Netflix. Now, you know, you have Amazon buying, I think, MGM or these big studios. You know, you've got this a lot of money going on. What is the pinnacle for you? Would you prefer to have a documentary on Netflix potentially seen by more people because there are more TVs and screens, or is it still the ultimate? And when you kindly gave me a ticket to go see Springsteen on Broadway, the theater in Soho, nothing beats a huge widescreen cinema. For you, is the pinnacle still to get a film into the cinema straight away. Do you see the cinema dying out one day? Is it all going to be streaming? And what's your view on all of that?
1: I don't see cinemas dying out. And I'm just aware of the power of people seeing things on a streamer, I made a documentary on Johnny Cash that YouTube bought, and it was like 6 million people saw it. Wow. And I wasn't expecting that, and it was, it was wonderful, but it, I guess I always stay open to how the story could reach an audience, and I don't have anything of, it's not a real film unless it has X, unless it's being projected or it's picked up by this studio, or I have something on Paramount Plus now, a Willie Nelson documentary that's four parts, that Taylor Sheridan presented and worked on that for six years. And I'm thrilled that the Paramount Plus audience is getting to see it. But then again, Sly and, and Netflix is a whole other adventure. So I'm just open to different audiences. And, and each film finding a home is the essential goal. And um, I've had great experience with Apple, Letter to You and uh, Springsteen on Broadway was with Netflix, as you said, you know, I just keep open and watch the industry and don't really put any hard, fast rules on for myself, what, what this means at the end of the day, I just hope that people can find it, see it. And they have this moment where it's in their lives and it's had a positive effect or influence
0: and my final question which i have to say tom i have adapted for you what it is originally is who would you commission living or dead to do your portrait? and then who would you have play you in a film about you
1: oh god play me i have no idea um you've thought about it though i haven't i haven't um no, I, I really don't have a clue because like it's, that's a great question because I'm blown away by it. <laughs> I no idea. I couldn't give you an answer on the act, but I could just tell okay, you, I, w- I can tell off. you this, I would, you know, I would love like a Rauschenberg or I also own a Banksy. I have, I have great love for collage. Mm. And I would love images of the work to be made into a painting that somehow tied into a portrait or the character of what the artist saw me as or the work as or what it represented and it it wouldn't have to be anyone famous i would just love to be able to see a story of the body of work that i've been able to create told in a certain way that represented a portrait
0: that's awesome yeah, yeah, what a great answer! Wow, I wasn't expecting that, and uh, I'm actually, you know, I've got a relatively creative mind as well, and I was just kind of thinking of of how that would look—a real tapestry of your career created by artists. So I'm, I'm so grateful that you you did this. I really, I'm so grateful, and I can't wait to re-listen to this. And uh, I know that my audience are going to love this as well. And um, you mentioned just very, very last. Sorry, I'm—you're I'm, uh, no. keeping me going here. <laughs> um, is you mentioned a project with Bruce? um is there anything i mean i'm sure it's all kind of very very kind of uh um secretive uh, but is there I, anything you can, lo- you can you can tell yeah, us
1: about uh, any other project? yeah sure i um i have different projects in development bruce is always doing something so at any point in the year i can tell you that i'm doing something exciting with him i also have been developing um some things with pierce Broslin and his wife keely that'll have me hopefully filming in the uk and awesome. i hopefully will be able to see you uh down the road i've just been developing different film series ideas and a couple of docs, but nothing to be able to officially announce. But, uh, with Bruce, it's always, he's always got something going. That's exciting. And hopefully this one will be out down the road. And, um, I, I've been with him for many years now and, uh, we're always out there capturing things and uh, I was on out with him on the last tour and hopefully a little bit this summer I'll be back in Europe. So looking forward to some of that too. And some of the adventures, but no official project to say like, this is the next movie yet. Um, hopefully knock on wood. I'll, uh, I'll be uh, in your neighborhood soon.
0: Fantastic. And um, I, I honestly, I think you should really explore. I think you do a brilliant job with your love of art on uh, an art documentary. I, would um, love it. I think it'd be awesome. I think you'd be the right man for it. Um, thank Tom, you. thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This has been wonderful to chat and sending you the best and, uh, See you soon. I'll
0: see you at Claridges. <laughs>
1: That's good. <laughs> Take care.
0: <laughs> Bye.